didn't want to start some great elongated uh, Bible study that would take weeks and months uh, because it's only going to be here this week and then gone next week, then here the third week and then gone the fourth week. And so uh, I want us to just spend tonight and one of the things that is uh, should be on most of our minds is the prophecy of the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled. And uh, I thought it might be interesting for us just to take a review, excuse me, of the great kings listed in biblical history. And uh, you say, what does that have to do with how I live? Well, we live in a day of many pretenders to greatness. And if if I can get through what's on my paper here tonight, we'll kind of tie that thing up and uh, hopefully uh, make some sense of the whole thing. But let's start with at the beginning with the first king. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10. Now, in Genesis chapter 9... We have Noah, excuse me, Noah and his family getting off the ark. Verse 1 of chapter 9, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now we go over to Genesis chapter 10, and it says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born, after the flood. Now, over the years, there has been quite a bit made of the differences that has appeared between human beings. And we have human beings coming in all varieties, and there has been much prejudice, racism, Uh, all kinds of things. And by the way, America is not the only country that's ever had problems with race. Uh, You want to talk about racism. How many of you know where Armenia is on the map? Oh, I mean, there's some stories there that are just without parallel in human history. The Georgia Republic in the former Soviet Union. You want to talk about some racism, boy. Uh, There's some problems there. Uh, You go to almost any people group on the face of this earth, and there are wars between tribes. There are wars between different peoples. uh, And uh, you go in our history, you have between the first settlers and the what they call the Native Americans. By the way, does anybody know where Native Americans came from? Were they native to America? No, they came from Mongolia. If you wonder why uh, many of the Indian people, in especially Central South America, look just a little bit Oriental, uh, it's because they are. <laughs> they walked across either the land or the ice bridge there, uh, what is now the Bering Sea, and uh, they've even done genetic tests and found uh, a lynx uh, some of you might remember the Mormon missionary that was here, and he he was not a Mormon. He was a missionary to Mormons, 
And uh, in the Book of Mormons, it states that the American Indians were the ten lost tribes of Israel. And so they went and got an anthropologist and did a little checking around. Guess what they found out? The, uh, the Book of Mormon was wrong. Could you imagine that? By the way, that's not all the Book of Mormon's wrong about. Uh, in fact, it would be a whole lot easier to write a list of things the Mor Book of Mormon's right about. We're done. We'll move on. Uh, and so we have all of these things, but every one of us in this room, if we could go back far enough, trace our ancestry back to one of the three sons of Noah. And so we're all related. Isn't that a wonderful thought? But the only place on earth where you can enjoy that is in a local Bible-believing church because the Holy Spirit of God unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, isn't that a wonderful thought? But let's get back to our study. And there's an awful lot that is said about this guy named Nimrod. And just not in the Bible, all right? Uh, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about him. Let's uh, come down to verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalna, in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher, and builded Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kala, and resin between Nineveh and Kala, the same is a great city. Now, that is all the Bible says definitively about Nimrod. How many of you have heard of Orion? When you see the constellation, the signs of the zodiac, Orion. Orion and Nimrod, same person. Um, do we have any Greek mythologists here tonight? Studied all their, know their Greek. We have a few Greeks, if you know your history. How many of you have heard of Bacchus, the god of wine and mirth? Nimrod. Same God. You see, much of what we call mythology today, if you've ever read the stories, they are so human. You have gods desiring other gods' wives and stealing them and, and uh, all kinds of immoral, horrible things going on and people killing people and... and uh, most of the mythology is based on the hearsay of the stories of the lives of people who were living around the time of Nimrod. The Bible tells us that even, and many of them may even go back before the flood. You read in Genesis chapter 6 that there were giants in the land. Now, I don't know what to make about that other than there were giants in the land. 
And uh, if you'll go down, I can't remember what town it was, in, uh, in uh, Texas, there was a light earthquake and a mudslide, and they uncovered the footprints of a dinosaur fossilized in the rock. And you know what was fossilized in the foot, inside the footprints of the dinosaur? Human footprints. There's only one problem. Those human footprints are about that long. I mean, as my mama used to say, you were a poet and you didn't know it, but your feet show it. Uh, Because they're long fellers. I mean, could you imagine how big a man would be that had a footprint that long? He'd be, do you think that'd be classified as a giant? Uh, I I think that'd be classified as a giant. And we're not going to go any further than that. Uh, if you want some really interesting things, uh, there's one fellow out there, and I've just forgotten his name on purpose, basically, but he said that the Great Pyramids were builded by these giants because they were 16 foot tall and could pick up those 10 ton stones and just put them in place. And I'm sorry, folks, I'm not going there. Amen. Uh, it's kind of like the stories of, uh, now I'm going to get it mixed up. Who had the blue ox named Babe? Paul Bunyan. And I always want to say John for Paul and Paul for John. And uh, it was Paul Bunyan, who is the legend, the man of American folklore, just made up story. But listen, all those stories where you have the knight slaying the dragon and all of these fighting these great beasts and all of these things may actually go back to the time of Nimrod. Nimrod was the mighty hunter. And the Bible tells us that he was, and I believe this is the key, it says he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, I read one commentary and said, it wouldn't be that much that God should take notice of one individual man, but he was the first king, and so God took notice of him. That's not what the word before means. It means in place of. Nimrod put himself in the place of the Lord and set himself up as a deity to be worshipped. You say, how do you know this? Uh, The constellation Orion and all of the things that are around that. Uh, By the way, you study all of the great kings of ancient past, and what did every one of them do? They all deified themselves, Julius Caesar, Augustus, actually it was Augustus after him that became the God that was supposed to be sacrificed to and prayed to. What did Daniel's, uh, uh, not his companions, but those that worked under him in the kingdom of Persia, what did they do? They went to the king and said, O king, live forever. We want to pass a new law that no man pray to any God or worship any deity but you. And what did the king do? He signed that law right into being, didn't he? 
by the way, could we not, and I'm getting ahead, but I just want to show you where we're going with this. How about Charlemagne and some of the kings of the Middle Ages? You see, it depended on who the king was and who the pope was, whichever one was more important. You see, sometimes the king worshipped the pope. Henry II, I believe it was, uh, I think the year was 1248, he knelt in the snow outside the, ca- the Pope's castle and was kept there with his wife and infant child in the dead of winter, s- sitting in a tent until the king, uh, until the Pope was embarrassed and finally had to let him in. And he was uh, allowed by the Pope to bend down in the snow and kiss the Pope's toe and then returned to his kingdom. Well, come spring, Henry got an army together, and guess what happened to the Pope? And then guess who got worshipped? Let's come up into modern times. Adolf Hitler had his own religion, should he have survived his unfortunate demise at his own hands that was going to be put in place in his new empire where he would be the god of his own religion. And I dare tell you today that in the darkest corners of human depravity, there are still those that gather together and worship a photograph of Adolf Hitler and still believe all of the demonic things that he believes. And yet, the Bible tells us that there is coming a king. The Bible calls him the beast or antichrist. And what will happen? The false prophet will cause an image to be made of him and all men and women who want to live will have to worship and receive the mark identifying with the worship of this false god. You see... There's, as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. All of these men have desired to be worshipped as gods. Now, the story of Nimrod has a very unhappy ending. Uh, We don't know exactly all of this, but all of the lore and all of the... um, Traditions that involve Nimrod involve an untimely death. And his wife actually takes over and becomes the regent and the builder of the city that we now call Babylon. And by the way, Nimrod's wife and her infant child that was born after Nimrod's death were worshipped as the Madonna and child. How many of you knew that? Some of you did. If you've studied history, you knew those things. So many of the symbols of what is called Christianity today are not Christian at all. They go back to this man named Nimrod, who was the mighty hunter before the Lord. His kingdom was the city 
that is now known as Babel, Babylon. In the Hebrew, it means confusion. And in the language, in other languages, you pronounce it just a little bit differently, and it means city of the gods. But may I, may I just suggest to you that city of the gods and confusion are congruous terms. I mean, they work together. It gets you the same place. If you believe in the gods, you're going to be confused. If you believe in God, then you will have the truth. Amen? Let's go to chapter 11. As always, God will judge. And so we come to Hebrews, I mean, Genesis chapter 11. In verse 1, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Now, where was Nimrod's kingdom? Land of Shinar. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. Now, how many of you, when you think of slime, you think of Nickelodeon and the machine that drops slime out on your head, or you think of some green, gluey substance that you, you find at the bottom of your swimming pool that you haven't cleaned out for several years? Uh, that's not slime. Uh, when, that word that is used there is referring to uh, natural oil that seeps out of the ground in that part of the world. It is a mixture of crude oil and sand and minerals and um, whatever was under there rotting for tens of thousands of years. I mean, not tens of thousands, excuse me, thousands of years since the flood and it boiled up to the surface. It's, it's what we uh, would now call a natural asphalt very similar to what you pave your road with. In fact, there are buildings that are still standing that date back very close to the actual time of Nimrod because that slime that was used was one of the best building materials in the world. And they are still in the land of Baghdad going to the ancient city of Babylon and stealing bricks that were part of buildings in the days of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and building new homes with them because why go to all the trouble of making or buying brick when I can go get it for free? And uh, it's, so just so you get the idea here, this was not some happenstance building. And it says in verse 4, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now that sounds like there's a little bit of leadership going on right there, doesn't it? Um, it sounds like somebody is forcing other people, or at least leading other people, to make a building. And God takes notice of this building, it says. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men building. Now look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now, what's that next word? Nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. 
I, I want you to understand something. The kingdom of Nimrod had more potential to be more powerful than all of the other kingdoms in the history of mankind, with the exception of one, that of Antichrist. Why? Because it was going to be made up of all the people living on planet Earth at one time. What was the theme of the Beatles' guru songs from the 60s? Oh, let us all lay our weapons down and imagine a world where we all get along and we all work together and we all feed everybody and everybody has a wonderful life. Man's desire has always been a one world government. It's coming. Nimrod has come closest to establishing that kingdom God intervened, and he confounded the languages. If you talk to Dr. Strauss, the professor of the school I've been attending, he said that the original language is Hebrew, and that you can trace back uh, almost every language back to Hebrew language and Hebrew usage and uh, I'm not going to argue with Dr. Strauss. He's a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, nor am I going to attempt to prove your points because I'm not smart enough to read the book and prove it to you. But, uh, but uh, that's just simply something there to think about. But there is a relation between languages. There's no question about that. Even languages that use different alphabets, you can hear different words that are very similar. And there's a few words that are the same in every language. And those words relate to God. The word amen, though some pronounce it amen, uh, is the same in all the languages of the world. The word hallelujah is the same in all the languages of the world. The word hallelujah means praise to the Lord. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, just one quick story. When we were up here working our first year in the city before this church was started, we met Sunday evenings in a Korean church, and they were practicing Christmas. And my wife will remember this. Uh, they had a fabulous choir, and they were singing in Korean. But I knew exactly what they were singing because they were singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And so it was interesting hearing them say all these words that I had no clue. And then all of a sudden, Hallelujah. And, uh, uh, and it works that way in every language known to mankind. Because that is not a translatable word. You just take it and put it in. And you may emphasize different syllables differently, but... There is a connection, and God came down, and he confounded the language. And verse 7, Go to, let us go down, and there confound their languages, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, 
because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now, that is the story of Nimrod. That was his kingdom. That's how his kingdom came to an end. But people went and they finished building the city. And that city has been historically a place of false worship. The next great king you're going to hear about in the Bible, anybody want to take a guess? Pharaoh, king of Egypt. As the power of the Sumerian or Akkadian Empire under Nimrod began to wane, Egypt took over. Egypt is a picture in the Bible of the world and false worship. God sent Joseph to preserve the lives of whom? Not only Joseph and his family, but all the Egyptians as well. That one act as that famine hit the land, Egypt was the only country that was prepared. So the riches of the world began to flow into Egypt as the rest of the world did not have food and did not have the ability to produce it. Egypt had the food. They sold it. They became powerful. They became rich. You wonder where all the gold from the uh, Egyptian tombs came from? It came from the purchase of all the wheat and all the food during the days of Joseph. And, and Egypt became very strong and powerful, and they saw this other group of people living within their boundaries, and they enslaved the Jewish people. And then, if you've read Exodus, you know that Pharaoh decided just making them slaves wasn't good enough. We've got to destroy them. So every man-child that is born must be killed. But Moses' parents didn't fear the king. And Moses was raised. He spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. All the learning and wisdom of the Egyptians. The next 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody. And the last 40 years struggling to serve God who did some of the greatest acts in history through Moses. When Moses left Egypt... Pharaoh was dead. Contrary to the Ten Commandments, Pharaoh got it at the, at the Red Sea. By the way, Pharaoh's son, who was supposed to sit on the throne in his place, had died with the last plague. All of the trees in Egypt had been destroyed. All of the crops in Egypt had been destroyed in their rotation Every one of God of the gods of the Egyptians had been cursed and mocked and destroyed by the God of Israel. The sun god, their greatest son, their greatest god had been blotted out for three days, total darkness in the land. That was plague number nine. The Nile River, which was their second god, was turned to blood, and all the fish that were in the river died. They had a frog god. God sent them frogs. They couldn't bake a loaf of bread without a frog getting in the dough. You opened your mouth to eat dinner, and you had to spit the frog out first. By the way, they worshipped the God of the flies. God sent them lice 
God sent, destroyed their land. There was nothing left. Because they, as, and by the way, Pharaoh claimed to be a direct descendant of the sun god and that he was worshipped as a god. And God said, I'll show you. And he did. The next great kingdom, and we're moving here rather quickly, but uh, I could bore you for hours with facts and things that aren't going to help you at all. We're trying to put something together. We have the kingdom of Assyria. This is the revival of Nimrod's kingdom, though the cities, the head cities of this kingdom of Assyria was the city of Nineveh. How many remember where Jonah was sent? He was sent to preach to Nineveh. You want to know why Jonah didn't want to preach to the people in Nineveh? Because he knew the prophecies of God that God was going to take that Assyrian army and destroy his people. He was from Galilee with the armies of Assyria. I'm not going to help them. They're going to hurt us. God said, oh yes, you're going to help them. Because I'm interested in saving anyone who will be saved. Amen? But 150 years after Jonah preached and the king of Nineveh and all of their people repented, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar's father actually went through the city of Nineveh and laid it waste, and all it is today is a big hill. The opposite side of the river is the city of Mosul. Across the river from Mosul is this great big mound. That's Nineveh. Because it's been all, the buildings have been knocked down, some of them, the city was burned. All the people were either killed or driven out of the city and time just filled it in and now it's just one big hill. When God gets done, there's nothing left. But the people of Nineveh cannot say that God did not give them the truth. Could you imagine what Jonah looked like when he showed up at the city of Nineveh? He had just spent three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. The digestive juices and all of those things would have turned to skin interesting colors. And I don't want to tell you what he smelled like, but your imagination probably figured that out pretty quick. And... Uh, I mean, when you looked at Jonah, he looked like he had come back from the dead. And they repented at his preaching. But less than a hundred years after, they had already been into the land of Israel and destroyed the ten northern tribes. It was Sennacherib. You read his story in the book of Chronicles in Isaiah that he said, No other gods have defeated you. you don't, don't you think your God sent me to destroy Jerusalem? How many people remember what happened to Sennacherib's army? God sent one angel in one night and 185,000 soldiers didn't wake up the next morning. Could you imagine the mess that was in that camp a couple weeks later? Because there wasn't anybody left in the army to bury them. The power of Assyria was destroyed by God because the king of Assyria spoke against God. And by the way, 
Esarhaddon, his son, was the one that brought up the other people to live in the land of Israel and founded the Samaritans. And those stories are in there. They worshiped the gods of their land and they worshiped the God of the Bible at the same time. Now, what does God do when you do that? He says, that's not acceptable. And that's why the Samaritans were outcast. And that's why they were ignored. And and they were hated by the Jewish people because they refused to pay the price of suffering to follow the God of the Bible alone. They were a mixed people. They took the easy way out. The only problem is the easy way out will always lead you away from truth. Then we have the greatest king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so many things are connected to Nebuchadnezzar. And historians, they love to downplay Nebuchadnezzar. He was just an insignificant king. His dynasty only lasted three generations. He and his grandson was the end of it. And it was just the city of Babylon. And yet, uh, the... Ishtar Gate of the city of Babylon has been rebuilt in the British Museum. The city of Babylon, uh, somebody remember Saddam Hussein? He, he thought he was Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. And he was going to rebuild the city of Babylon. Um, shall we say his intentions were cut short um, and leave it there. He didn't get it done, did he? Because God promised utter destruction to the city of Babylon because it was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson who took the vessels that were dedicated to the temple in Jerusalem and brought them out and drank liquor in them and had a drunken, wicked feast. And God sent his hand to write in the plaster of the wall. Now, could you imagine? Here's beautiful carved stone buildings. And this hand without an arm attached to it appears and begins drawing through the stone like you would through the dirt. And when it's all done, there's words there. Meany, meany, tickle, you farsen, according to a translation in our Bible. And Daniel came and told Belshazzar what those words meant. It says, your kingdom has been finished. God has numbered your kingdom and it's done. Your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. How many remember what happens in the last, the last verse of chapter 5 of the book of Daniel? That night was Belshazzar of Babylon slain. There was a general at the gate. His name was Cyrus. He diverted the entire Euphrates River that ran through the center of Babylon. And when the river died, dried up, could you imagine digging a ditch and diverting the Hudson River? That was what Cyrus and the armies of the Medes and the Persians accomplished. And today, Babylon is a dry desert place because the river flows a different direction than it used to. There's nothing left. 
And by the way, you can read in Daniel chapter 4 how God judged Nebuchadnezzar, made him lose his sense for seven years. And Nebuchadnezzar gives a testimony to the goodness of God and his grandson, even though he knew all that, exalted himself against and above the God of Israel and was judged. We have the kings of the Persians. You say, what did the Persians ever do? You ever heard of Haman? The book of Esther? He tried to destroy all the Jewish people. What happened to Haman? He and his family were destroyed, and the Jewish people still celebrate the Feast of Purim, even to this day in remembrance of God's deliverance in the days of Esther and King Ahasuerus. Then we go to the Greeks, and they're mentioned prophetically in the book of Daniel as the goat, the the he-goat with one horn. And that horn was broken and four horns came up in his place. And that's the history of the Greek Empire. Alexander died 32 years old. His kingdom was not divided to his prosperity because he had none. His four generals took his kingdom and divided it four different ways. One of those kings desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. And God sent the Romans in and they took over the Grecian kingdom without hardly a battle. Rome ruled during the days of Christ. Humanly speaking, Rome was the one whose authority nailed Jesus to the cross. In the book of Revelation, we're going to see a revived Roman Empire. Now that could happen several different ways. We could have the European Union come together under one king. It would be a revived Roman Empire. The Roman Empire went from Britain, followed the line of the Danube, parts of Germany, parts of uh, all of southern Europe, the Balkans, all of that was part of the Roman Empire. In Daniel's prophecy, there's going to be ten kings. They're going to give their authority to this one man called the beast. He is going to rule the world, just like Nimrod wanted to. No man will be able to buy or sell without pledging allegiance and worship to this false ruler. He will accomplish what... The Holy Roman emperors of the 800s tried to accomplish. Napoleon, Bismarck, Adolf Hitler, and many others in their place of such lesser notes they're not even worth mentioning, all have tried to revive the Roman Empire. Why do you think Hitler called it the Third Reich? It was to be the third kingdom of Rome. It was going to last a thousand years, according to Hitler. I like what Mr. Scheer says as he's writing the rise and fall of the Third Reich. It didn't last a thousand days because it wasn't time. You say, what do we do about all this? Very simple. Don't get upset. 
If it's time for the Antichrist to take over, you're not going to stop him. If it isn't, God's going to stop him. You're not going to do anything. So get busy serving Jesus till he comes. How do you do that? Right through his local church. Amen. You make sure your salvation is real. And then you take it to whomever God will allow you to share the truth of the gospel. I think we call it the Great Commission. Amen. Something we should all be familiar with. That's your job. Yes, vote. Yes, vote for the best candidate you can possibly find. My favorite way of putting it is, vote for the best rat in the race. Amen? We don't want a bad rat. We got one. Let's see if we can't get rid of him and some of his cohorts this next time around. Amen? But listen, prophecy is going to be fulfilled. My hope and my focus should not be in Washington, D.C. Better be in this book called the Bible. So, uh, just an overview from the beginning to the end. And hope that it piqued your interest just a, piqued your interest just a little bit. You can read about many of those kings and things in the Bible. But let's get busy doing the things that God wants us to do today. Jesus could come back any moment. And by the way, that's when earth will have true peace, is when the Prince of Peace rules from the city of peace. That's when we'll have true justice. You think there's going to be any suicide bombers in Jesus' day? Because as God, he will know what's in their heart before they start. And will stop it before anything comes of it. Because he is God. And that's where we need to be. Man will only be at peace when God rules instead of man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how that we can look into a book that was completed nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet we see tomorrow's headlines. We ask that you would help us to be faithful to serving you and your word in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just keep our-